Pastor Phil, appreciate that. And it is great to be able to call Willow Park my home church. And so uh, last Sunday I was in Toronto, and um, after the service here, I was talking to my wife on the phone, and uh, she told me right away that I needed to get online and listen to Pastor Phil's message as he had introduced the topic of worship, and I was going to be speaking out of this morning, and so I don't know if you've ever done that, but it is a great thing to be able to go online. The day and age in which we live, we have this freedom that if we happen to miss a Sunday, we can always go online and just check it out. And so uh, one of the great things is that if you do that, and, and Pastor Phil is speaking, you can stop him at any point that you want. Because <laughs> sometimes he says stuff that I need to think about. And so uh, I just press pause, and you can catch him in all kinds of different facial expressions as well. And then I go and get a coffee, and I come back, and I chuckle a little bit, and then I press play again. And, and so uh, it's a great learning experience, and I encourage you that if you miss a service, do go onto the website and follow along, because it keeps you sort of in the, genera- or in the, the general direction of where the church family is going, and we want us all to be together on this. Um, as I mentioned, I was in Toronto. Uh, that's my home territory. I was down there for some meetings, and so I always book a few extra days to uh, go and see my mom and my, my family. And so on this particular trip, as I was landing in Toronto, I was recalling my own spiritual journey. And during the time that I was there, I felt very prompted by God to go to my mom, who was in the hospital at that point in time, and thank her for the impact that she had upon my life, because she was instrumental in me discovering who Jesus Christ is. Uh, The family that I grew up in was a half-and-half family, in that uh, my dad wasn't a believer, and my mom was. And so uh, mom took us as a family to Sunday school. I I didn't go to church as a child, only ever went to Sunday school. And so um, depending on dad's schedule, we only had one car and mom didn't drive. And so there was many Sundays where we would walk as uh, four children and my mom, the five of us would walk off to church. And and sometimes we'd walk back home. Sometimes church people would be kind and they'd give us a ride. But there were different Sundays where we'd walk there and back. And so it was a few years ago that I was remembering that and thinking about it. And I thought, I wonder how far that is. And so I went to the house that I grew up in and, and started the car and went off to the church. And it was five kilometers, one direction. So my mom would walk us there and then some Sundays walk us back home again. And so as I visited her in the hospital, I said, Mom, I, I just want to thank you. And she said, for what? I said, well, Mom, you know, you, what was it like walking four kids that far? I, I can't imagine trying to do that today. But uh, she said, well, we just did what we had to do, and she just had that kind of an attitude, and then I I reminisced with her on the night that I gave my life to Christ. And we're sitting there in the hospital room, and I said, Mom, do you remember when you you wanted to go and hear that missionary speaker who was speaking at a Sunday evening service at our church? And she, of course, remembered, and so we talked about that, and that was my first time at 11 years of age of ever being in a church service. I'd only ever been to Sunday school up to that point. And so here I am, 11 years of age, at a Sunday evening service with a missionary from Africa who's got slides back in that day. You know, you had the slideshow that they would do, and they'd stop, and they'd talk to you about the different things that were going on. And he explained to us that evening why he was doing what he was doing. And it was because people needed to hear about Jesus. They needed to hear the gospel. And so at the end of it, he gave a very simple gospel explanation about how we're all sinners, and we need a Savior, and we can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ that evening if we wanted to. And he invited anybody who wanted to to come forward, and and I I went forward as an 11-year-old boy. I went to Sunday school all my life, but never really understood that I needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so as I went forward, he did an interesting evangelistic twist with me after he does an altar call for us to come forward. He then tries to talk me out of it, which I thought was just a little odd at the moment, and I even thought it more odd as I've looked back upon it, but I understood what he was trying to do. He wanted to gauge the level of my seriousness. Was I just caught up in the stories and the slides and the pictures, or did I really want Jesus? And that night, I really wanted Jesus. As I reflected on that, as the plane was landing and I was driving off through the wonderful traffic of southern Ontario, which of course you have lots of time to just stop and wait for a while before you go anywhere on the highways, because that's the way southern Ontario is, um, I was sitting in my car and I was just worshipping my God. Prompted, I believe, by the Spirit of God, thanking Him for His grace that night of opening up my eyes as an 11-year-old boy that I needed Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? You see, none of us can ever claim any great insight that, that we got it. It's only by God's grace that he opens our eyes for us to actually see our need and respond. And so I just wanted to worship him. I wanted to tell him again how thankful I am and how wonderful he is and how deserving of my whole life that he is. And, and then the thought came to me that as I was going over that, that it's been almost 50 years. Next year, it'll be 50 years since I made that decision. You can do the math if you want to know. I'm not nearly as young as Pastor Phil. (laughs) So, as it struck me, I thought, I've had 50 years really of trying to practice, if you will, how to walk with Jesus, and indeed in the topic that we're going to look at this morning, how to worship him. Keep that thought in mind as you turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. And I want to spend some time looking at this idea of worship that if we've followed along with Jesus for any length of time, we've had our ups and our downs and there's been good times and hard times and struggles. But through it all, God in his grace keeps calling us back to have these wonderful encounters with him that we can worship him. And so in Philippians 2, Paul's writing to the church and... A little later on, he's actually going to get to the actual word of the end picture of worship. But in the beginning, I think he's laying a foundation that I want us to see perhaps through different eyes this morning about why it's so important that we do gather together like this and spend time in worship with him. So Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, Paul writes and we read this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. 
Well, let's break the passage down and see what it's got. And I, I've got a few truths that I call uh, that come out of this passage, I believe. And the first ones are in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And the truth is this. Worship can help unify us. Now, look at the, how I've worded that. Worship can help unify us. I want you to, to think about that as we begin to look at this passage. So the very first thing that Paul says in chapter 2 is that if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Worship starts there, doesn't it? We don't worship Jesus if we don't really know him. We may admire, we may look up to, we may have all kinds of good thoughts about him, but worship takes this idea of actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it starts right here. This serves us well if we'll just give us a few moments to think it through. I need to be united with Christ in order to worship him, and if I'm not in union with him, then I can come to any church or read any parts of the Bible or I can do all kinds of things, but if I don't have that union with him, I'm not going to worship because it's that union that actually leads me to worship. Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Then he goes on to give us a few ifs, I say. Uh, He says the the next ones are um, this idea of love, fellowship with the Spirit, and tenderness or compassion. Paul says, if we have received any of these, which of course, for those of us who are actual followers of Jesus Christ, we know that we receive those as acts of God's grace with us each and every day that we are alive. We receive his love. We receive his tenderness. We receive his compassion. We receive that idea of being one and in fellowship with the Spirit. When I am at home... I have a young man that I'm working with. Uh, he's around 30 years of age, and um, he and his wife have a few kids. And, and I just love his, his best time to meet is at 6 a.m. in the morning. And so we meet during the week at a Starbucks, and, and it's a great way to start my day because I get to drink good coffee and have great time of fellowship with my young friend Thomas. And so this past Tuesday as we met, we were talking about this actual idea of being in step with the Spirit of God. He says, you know, if you have this fellowship with the Spirit, if you have this, this union with Christ and this fellowship with the Spirit, then what's going to happen is that if I'm actually in step with the Spirit, is that the Spirit of God is going to lead me to see Jesus. He's going to lead me to want to worship Jesus if I'm in fellowship with the Spirit. And so Thomas was saying to me what a uh, joy it is, he says, to have that sense that the Spirit of God is actually using your life to walk with somebody else at a part in their journey when maybe they're first thinking about becoming a believer or they've just made a decision or they've been there for a long time, but the Spirit brings our lives together for a period of time in a journey. And Thomas says to me, Russ, isn't it amazing to think that here's this God who's divine and eternal and he sees everyone and everything and he doesn't mind taking our lives to connect with each other for his divine purposes. Wow. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? That our great God would look at you or look at me, and it's not because of how wonderful or how great or how educated or how awesome we are. It's just because we're united with Christ that we would walk in step with the Spirit and allow God to use our lives for his purposes. I think it's pretty obvious, but let me state it anyway. If we are in step with the Spirit, in fellowship with Him, as Paul writes here in Philippians 2, we will want to worship our God. In fact, 
use this as a gauge in the days ahead. As you go through a few days this week, ask yourself, have I felt sort of prompted by God to want to worship my Savior? Or have I gone for a period of time where there's been no thought in my head, there's been no movement in my heart that has said to me, I want to just worship Jesus. Because if that's the case, we can come back and say, God, I just sense that I'm not actually in step with the Spirit of God. I've went these few days now, and I haven't had any sense at all that I'm called to worship him. And I know that if I'm in step with the Spirit, that's going to be one of the most natural outflows of that relationship is that I will want to worship Jesus. So there's a great application point out of this message, just to use this as a gauge and ask yourself, am I sensing a prompting of God to just worship the Savior? As I said in my outline, this idea of worship can help unify us. I mean that because as I travel, it is my responsibility to engage with churches, and I'm in a different church pretty well every Sunday across Western Canada in particular. And I've seen the contentiousness that this idea of worship can bring in a church. I recently heard this true story that as I was down in southern Ontario that a friend of mine shared with me about one of his friends. So I actually called the guy up to make sure I could verify that this actually did take place. And as we were on the phone talking, he said, Ross, that's pretty well word for word what took place. And so a church attendee came to the pastor after the service in the foyer of the church and, and he came walking right up to him and he said, Pastor, I want you to know that I didn't enjoy one aspect of the service this morning. I've had those kind of conversations, but never quite as insightful as this gentleman had. The pastor quickly replied to the gentleman, that's great news. Well, that just stymied the whole process, because that wasn't the response that the gentleman was thinking he was going to receive at all. And so he looked at the pastor, he said, what do you mean that's great news? And so the pastor simply said to him, well, actually, we didn't design this service for you or for anyone else in regards to your or their enjoyment. We designed it to please our Heavenly Father and then to give all of us the opportunity to worship Jesus. Wow. I wish I had been that smart. Many different conversations that I've had. (laughs) And so I've actually memorized this now. Because I am absolutely sure in my travels I will have that conversation again just knowing the spiritual battle that Sunday morning services can be in regards to worship. Paul asks the church as he carries on to make his joy complete by being like-minded. When it comes to being like-minded and we think of this and apply this in the sense of worship, do you really sense that that's where we are as a church family? He says, then make my joy complete, verse 2, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. How are we doing in regards to our worship? How are we doing when we walk through the doors and we arrive here on Sunday morning? Are we desiring to be like-minded with each other with the same thought of, I just want to worship Jesus regardless of what is actually happening up here on the platform? Well, The second part of the outline is in verses 3 through to 8, and there I I say this truth that worship can help humble us. Worship can help humble us. The actual act of worship is a humbling thing. 
Because when I worship, I'm actually acknowledging that there's someone greater, bigger, more grander than myself. And I'm turning to that individual, and in this case, as we talk about Jesus, it's him, and we just want to pay him the worship that is due. We want him to know how much we love him. We want him to know how much we adore him. We want him to know how worthy he is of our worship. And it's a humbling thing. And so Paul's encouragement here to the church, after he has asked them to be in step with the Spirit, he goes on in verses 3 and 4, and he says, he wants them to be in step with the Spirit. And in verse 3, he says, Do nothing then, and this is as I believe we are in step with the Spirit, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And each of you, think of this in in the idea of worship, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So let's apply this to worship. Now, if you've been attending church for any length of time, you'll understand this picture I'm going to paint for you. So we have a Sunday morning service, and uh, on this particular Sunday, the worship team happens to sing a number of songs, if not all songs, that we just love. And uh, the instruments are just uh, tuned perfectly, and the sound is just ideal, and the pastor actually preaches a message that's encouraging, And so we walk out of here and we go for lunch with our friends and we give our church a passing grade on what a great church it is we have. Because we liked everything that was going on up here. However, let's just paint the opposite of that. That the worship team introduces a couple of new songs that we don't know. That the guitar player seemed a little louder than he should be. And that the pastor actually stepped on our spiritual toes with his message. Then we go out... I actually thought about that with Jasmine this morning, how she was going to interpret spiritual toes. I don't know. But um, we go out of here thinking of the ways in which... Why are you laughing? You don't know what she's saying. We go out of here... With joy in our hearts, right? No, we go out of here thinking of ways in which our church needs to improve because they didn't make us happy with some of the things that happened up here on the platform. If you attend a church for any length of time, you know how we grade the services. It's sort of a natural outflow of our humanity for whatever reason. But Paul attacks that. He addresses that. And he says, I want you to be of one mind. And here's the truth, the humbling truth. Worship is never, has never, is never, and never will be about us. You see, worship's about Jesus. And when we make it about us, what we've done is we've actually missed the opportunity to look to the Savior and praise and worship Him. And so we can go out of here thinking that we're pretty good and we're pretty smart about how we think things should be done, and yet we've missed the actual opportunity to worship Jesus. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. So when I demand that the worship team sing my favorite songs, aren't I being selfish? Paul says, no, think of others as better than yourselves. When it comes to worship, could it be that we're at a time right now in the history of the evangelical church here in North America where it's time for my generation, the baby boomers, to lay down our demands. 
to lay down our personal preferences and to say to the generations that are following after us, you take over and help us to lead worship Jesus. You do it in a different way than we've ever done it. My friend Sid Coop, who heads up Truth Matters Ministries and has spoken here on a number of occasions and attends our South Campus, he was part of a conglomeration of ministries that put together a study five years ago on seeking why young people were leaving the church. The study ended up being called Hemorrhaging Faith. And what they found was that the numbers were both startling and concerning in that huge numbers of young people as they graduated from grade 12 and walked away to university and further things, they they didn't stay connected with their church in any way. So as five years have gone by and they're now doing a follow-up study, I had lunch recently with Sid and I said, have you got any information from the new study that's going on? He said, yes, the numbers are worse five years later than they were five years ago. We have more young people leaving the church. Could it be that this area in church today is an area where we could start to see those statistics change back to the positive? Where we got our young people more involved in actually designing and leading that, that maybe they have ideas about what should happen in this concept that we call worship here that's totally different than anything that we have thought of. That the music and the words and the expressions are just from a different generation that my generation needs to lay down our preferences and say, please, please come and help us. The church that I pastored in Saskatoon, the last church I pastored, we were growing and, and things were going great, but I mean, every so often you had those Sundays where the music was a little loud. And on one particular Sunday, I mean, the music was quite loud. And as after the service, I was walking through the foyer, I saw Benno coming towards me. Benno was about 80 years of age at this point in time. And so I walked right up to him and I thought, I'm going to address it right away. And I said, Benno, music worship team was a little loud this morning, weren't they? And Benno was a short man and he just looked at me and he said, yeah, pastor, they were, but, but don't worry. And I said, well, I just you know, want you to know I'm aware of that. And, and he said, Pastor Russ, if I'm honest, we don't always sing songs that I gravitate towards. We don't always have teams up there that I like. But he grabbed my arm and said, but Pastor Russ, listen to this. Don't you change a thing because, you see, my grandchildren love this church. And I don't want them to ever walk away, so you just keep doing what you're doing because they love being here. What was Benno doing? Benno was laying down his preferences. Benno was considering others better than themselves. And Benno had an evangelistic heart for his grandchildren and great-grandchildren to love Jesus. You see, it's a time of practice right now, my friends. We are worshiping now in preparation for when we will worship in eternity. I grew up playing lots of sports, and as I recall, my coaches, my best coaches, weren't the ones who simply pointed out the mistakes in practice, but they're the ones who saw the mistakes and then told us how to do it better, and then encouraged us to practice doing it better. And we repeat, and we repeat, and we repeat because we wanted to get better as a team. So this opportunity that you and I have right now to practice in worship is really a humbling experience, and that's okay. Paul lets us know very clearly that we have an example to follow because he starts off in verse five, and he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. 
That's just a biblical truth always, people. No matter what topic you want to talk about, our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And then Paul paints this picture for us. He says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul basically says that from the time that Jesus was getting ready to leave heaven, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, humbled himself, came down to earth, lived his life in a humbling fashion, and died the most humbling and excruciating death on the cross. And Paul says, I want our attitude to be the same. Humility is a big thing in our Christian faith. Just to corroborate this, John wrote in 1 John 2, 6, he said, whoever claims to live in him, that's in Jesus, must walk as Jesus did. So in these few verses, Paul calls us not to be selfish. He calls us to consider others. He calls us to look to the interests of others before ourselves. He calls us to live humbly just like Jesus. And this morning, we're thinking about all of that in regards to worship. Because as I just pointed out, we're actually practicing right now. Why did I say that? Well, let's look at the last couple of verses in the passage. Worship can help prepare us. The third truth. Verses 10 and 11. Verse 9. It says, Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That one verse makes sense and helps us understand why it is that we worship Jesus. But then look at it, verses 10 and 11. Paul goes on to say, That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we practice now because there will come a time when we will see him face to face. And Paul says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we will worship Jesus. Wow. What is that going to be like? I don't know. So to just prompt our imaginations a little bit more, we're going to close with a video this morning that a music group called Mercy Me sings this song, I Can Only Imagine. And the picture is of when we take that step into eternity and we're seeing Jesus for the very first time, what's that going to be like? And the guy who wrote this song helps us to see for the first time, perhaps, we don't know what it's really going to be like. But let's imagine for just a moment, and then after the video, I'll come up and say a few more things, and we'll wrap up this morning. Watch the video. Did you hear that line at the end? He said, when all I will forever do is worship, worship you. It's practice time right now, people. Every single day of our lives, As that day dawns for you and I, it's a day of opportunity to practice worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for that day when all we will ever do is be in eternity and worship Him. What an amazing Savior we have. Pastor Phil's going to come and wind things up this morning.